have no hands but yours to tend my sheep. No handkerchief but yours to dry the eyes of those who weep. I have no arms but yours with which to hold the ones grown weary from the struggle and weak from growing Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service. Above all, I'll seek out light, love, and helping hands being shared between our many neighbors on this planet, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I have no way to open people's eyes Except that you will show them how to trust the inner Joining me today on Spirit in Action is Peter Alsop. Peter doesn't fit any neat cubby hole. He's a musician and an educational psychologist. He teaches workshops on a wide range of topics, works with kids and parents, teachers, administrators, marriage and family, and ADOA counselors, and much more. He does vital and spirited work to heal and enrich our world. Welcome, Peter, to Spirit in Action. Hi, Mark. Nice to be here. How are things out there in Topanga, California? It's a gorgeous day today. It's uh, 60 degrees, something like that. Nice way to spend the winter. It's okay if you send a bit of that over our way, what we have 20 degrees, ice and snow. You guys are the hope for the future, what with global warming and all. We're all going to kind of want to come to Minnesota where it'll be a little bit cooler. I'll reserve a spot for you here in Eau Claire. Well, Peter, you've certainly done a lot of good work over the years, and I think you may have started doing it subliminally. I don't know if your audience knew that they were being educated, but you certainly were planting important seeds in our thoughts. When I first heard you, which was back in 1980 at the Blue River Cafe in Milwaukee, I was wildly enthusiastic about your music, and then it was maybe a year or two later you announced you were going to become a psychologist. You were going to work with kids' stuff. I was disappointed, and it was kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around that transition. What happened for you in the course of your career to lead to this change of direction? Well, I 
think it was a, an epiphany I had late at night at the Ice House in Pasadena, where I was playing at one of those, you know, everybody come and sing one song kind of nights, you know, and I was, uh, I was number 37, and the only people left in the audience were number 38 and 39, you know, <laughs> and I thought, what am I doing here, you know? I go and I play a song or two, and these people will turn their minds over to you and listen to you and give you their time and their life, and there's so much stuff going on out in the world that it's just difficult for people to cope with. Wouldn't it be great if when you were done listening to someone, me, and you got up, you had some skills to cope with some of the things in your life that you didn't have when you sat down? And I thought, what a good idea. So I also found that the songs I was doing, I was doing a lot of mostly just silly songs, but I found that the, I did a song by Bill Steele called Garbage, and I did one by Larry Gross called Junk Food Junkie. And people really liked those because they had something to say beyond just being funny. And I thought, well, gee, I'm picking up skills and learning things. And so, and I had a feminist girlfriend at the time, and I would, you know, she'd bust me for doing something. I'd go, yeah, I guess I was doing that. And I'd start laughing. And then I'd figure, well, gee, wouldn't it be great if I could sing a song that brought this up so some other guy didn't have to go through the pain I just went through figuring this out? And maybe he could laugh at it and say, yeah, maybe I should pull my socks up in that arena, you know. So that's why I started doing songs that had some content. You know, I knew this was called Spirit in Action. So it's like, how do you take action and bring stuff up and help people pick up some skills that they might not pick up other ways or might be years before they pick it up if I could help them along by sharing some of what I've learned? I thought that would be neat. Most of the teachers in school that I loved the most were the ones that were entertaining. So I figured, well, learn how to entertain and then have songs that will... Uh, spread information that will be useful for folks. So I think that's where that came from. Can you give me an example of one of the early songs in that vein? A lot of stuff that I was looking at, a lot of what was motivating me to go into music was, I would say, sexuality issues. You know, If you're a young man and you want to meet available female partners, one of the things you always see is girls screaming at guys with guitars. And I figured, well, gee, maybe I could do that job. So as I started playing and stuff and looking for different issues, what I was looking at a lot, with, particularly with a feminist girlfriend, was some of the gender issues, some of the kinds of expectations people have of little boys as you grow up as opposed to little girls, and little girls have their own stereotypes that they're, that they're sometimes crammed into by the society and by the expectations of their parents or other people. So I wrote a song called It's Only a Wee Wee, So What's the Big Deal? It's a funny song because it sounds like it should be a kid's song, but it's not a song you really sing for kids. If I play it at a school... The principal's phone rings off the hook after it's because the kids come home and say, we sang about Wee Wee today. So under the guise of it being a kid's song, it really is a song for adults to think about stuff, which a lot of my stuff falls into that arena. This is song has been around. Lots of people have recorded it and sung it on the folk circuit and stuff. But it's like it's something my other songs, just to bring up stuff to talk about. And it's silly. And even though people say, you know, gee, we don't like it, or it, what it means is it's embarrassing, they like the ideas of the song and they kind of get that. So well, we should let the listeners make up their own mind, couldn't we? Agreed. We'll let them make up their own minds. The song is It's Only a Wee Wee, and it's by my guest for today's Spirit in Action, Peter Alsop. As soon as you're born, grown-ups check repeat. And then they decide just how you're supposed to be Girls pink and quiet, boys noisy and blue Seems like a dumb way to choose what you'll do Well, it's, it's only, only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so what's all the fuss? It's only a wee-wee, and everyone's got one There's better things to discuss 
Now girls must use makeup, girls' names and girls' clothes. And boys must use sneakers, but not pantyhose. The grown-ups will teach you the rules to their dance. And if you get confused, they'll say, look in your pants. Well, it's only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so what's all the fuss? It's only a wee-wee, and everyone's got one. There's better things to discuss. If I live to be nine, I won't understand why grown-ups are totally obsessed with their glands. If I touch myself, don't you do that, I'm told. And they treat me like I might explode. Well, it's only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so what's all the fuss? It's only a wee-wee, and everyone's got one. There's better things to discuss. Now grown-ups watch closely each move that we make. Boys must not cry, and girls must make cake. It's all very formal, and I think it smells. Let's all be abnormal and act like ourselves. It's only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so what's all the fuss? It's only a wee-wee, and everyone's got one. There's better things to just everybody sing. It's only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so what's all the fuss? It's only a wee-wee and everyone's got one. There's better things to discuss. Well, I didn't want any of you adults to feel left out, so I wrote a special verse just for you. Here it is. She walked to the market past brave cavaliers. She tried to avoid them, they whistled and jeered. She gave them the finger, they gave her more noise. So she stopped and she sang to those bright little boys. It's only a wee-wee, so what's the big deal? It's only a wee-wee, so why do you watch? It's only a wee-wee and everyone's got one. There's more to life than your crotch. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the things that that song brings up, it's generated lots and lots of discussion from people, and of course, and it hopefully raises some consciousness. It's one of the things I played when I, I hadn't been aware that there was a feminist men's movement, and I had been writing these songs about things that my girlfriend and I were, you know, were working on, or friends were talking about, or something would come up, and I'd go, ooh, that's a good song. There's one called When You Ask Me First, about a, about a guy who gets all nervous when his girlfriend becomes more assertive in bed, or maybe it's his wife, I'm not sure, it's not clear in the song, but one or the other, and he can't deal with the ends up getting a headache at the end of the song. You know, a lot of people, marriage and family counselors were buying that album, it was on my Sleep at the Helm album, which is my second album, and they're buying it to play this humorous song to bring up something in, a, in one of their couple's sessions, and then get the man and the woman to share about how they feel about who's being assertive about the sexuality and where that goes, and I wish my songs were just had simple answers for people, but life isn't that simple, so what I try to do with the songs is just get stuff out on the table so people can talk about it and walk away more informed, even if you don't have a resolution. So there is a, I had an opportunity when I found out about the feminist men's movement to actually go play my songs for a lot of these guys and have some really wonderful workshops and input from people and things that I hadn't been aware of, some of my gay brothers that would talk to me about stuff. I had a song for Hopelessly Heterosexual. 
did you or do you get much negative feedback, much static for that kind of thing? You know, there's some subjects that some people just cannot see any humor in, and any attempt at humor will be treated as a slight. Well, when you say you just can't talk about, um, hopelessly heterosexual songs is a good example of that. I, I played that at the men's movement, and I explained after, I said, you know, I haven't had a chance to bounce any of these songs off of people that have spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff and living some of the songs just from my single perspective here. So we're having a workshop this afternoon for anybody to come to. I would love to have you come and give me your input on this stuff and so I can alter things if I need to or maybe give me some ideas for new songs. I'd love to do that. And so we did that, and it was a really heated, heated workshop because there's some people there that have been gay for a long time or out of the closet or comfortable with that, even though society is not necessarily supportive of that kind of lifestyle. certainly wasn't 30 years ago, and so certainly become a lot more accepting of it than it was then. Even that's weird to think that society has to accept that lifestyle instead of it just being part of the fabric or wholeness of us. But there were some people that were not out of the closet. There were some people that were just really angry about, you know, a straight guy singing songs and something that where they heard people laughing, but it wasn't making fun of anybody. It was just laughing about some of the discomfort the straight people have dealing with the whole issue. Actually, you know, we hadn't talked about doing that one, but maybe we should play that song and then we can continue this discussion. What do you think about that? Sure. Let's listen to Hopelessly Heterosexual by my guest for today's Spirit in Action, Peter Alsop. Listen, you're one of my oldest and dearest friends, but you have to understand, you see, that, well, I'm hopelessly heterosexual, I guess I'm kind of slow. Mom and Dad were all I had, that's the only way I know, so I'm hopelessly heterosexual, I'm stuck with being straight. So man to man, I'll ask you not to ask me for a date. When I'm with you, I'm happy. When you're with me, you're gay. I love you like a brother, but not the other way. Now I'm not scared to try it, but it's not my cup of tea. I never even thought of it till you brought it up to me. And now that I consider it, I'd rather stay repressed. Cause I don't feel excited at the thought of you undressed. I'm hopelessly heterosexual. You know I'm not a tease. I'm a product of society, so don't be angry, please. I'm hopelessly heterosexual and I hate to be a bore. But I'd rather watch the Super Bowl than sit here and explore. I'm flattered that you asked me, but that's the way it has to be. Cupid's kind of stupid, he hit you and he missed me. But since we're on the subject, and you know where I stand, what exactly do you do? I guess use your hand. I mean, do you? How does? What if? Where will? From behind, oh well, I just, you know, it was, <laughs> never mind. I'm hopelessly heterosexual and I don't mean to offend, so don't hold it against me and I'll be your best friend. No, don't hold it against me and please be my best friend. Uh, 
So, Peter, was that a song that got you a lot of heat? Well, as we were talking, this one, yes, there was a lot of discussion about it. There had been a lot of people that were the gay men's caucus got together, and some people were saying that they thought it's important that straight men speak up and, and start addressing some of these issues in ways, and that nobody was being made fun of, and other people were saying, yeah, but he's not gay, and he's, you know, I hear people laughing, and it just irritates me, it bothers me, it's not okay, there's so much pain around this, and he didn't go through it. You know, there are all these big discussions that were happening. A lot of them, outside of me, it was about the concept more than me being good or bad or doing something wrong or not wrong or, you know. And I was listening to all of it, trying to stay informed about it. So, yeah, it's sort of like grieving. You know, when someone loses someone that they love, people grieve in different ways. And so how do you deal with that? One of the hardest jobs I ever had was playing at a Compassionate Friends conference where there's families that have lost children. And the people that hired me knew my work and had had, you know, a child die 25 years earlier or something like that, or, you know, a long time. They'd lived with it, and one of them even said, you know, it's it's actually, I never thought I'd say this, but when Frankie died, I thought it was a blessing for our family. I mean, I didn't think it was a blessing then, but I see how it was now, because there was a lot of stuff we were not dealing with very well, and we weren't talking about, we were hidden from each other, but his death really required that we cope with some stuff, and it was the catalyst for us going into counseling and getting a lot more help so that we're still together today and our bonds are really strong. I do see that part of it. It's difficult to say your child's dying is a blessing, but I can see that. And so a lot of it has to do with attitude and stuff that happens. But they hired me to come in, and so I thought, oh, this is great, and I played a bunch of songs. But there are some families there whose child had died, you know, two months earlier, you know, an infant death or something. And I do a song that I didn't think of as anything that would be upsetting, like no one knows for sure, which is about having hope. But they just felt like, well, I know for sure, and no one's going to tell me you didn't have a child dying. I went, whoa, because I'm trying to be careful about stepping on emotional toes. So it's the same thing when you're dealing with sexuality. People have a lot of injuries and a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of attitudes about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate sexually, and it can really push emotional buttons for folks. So how to do that carefully is, is something that I try to pay attention to. And if I do a song where I use humor particularly to help engage people to listen to something, if I'm going to do a song about short people, I want to make sure I find five short people and I play the song for them and say, what do you think? Was that offensive? Was that, did that hurt in some way? Is there something? You know, because what I want to do is bring this subject up, not create more pain for people. You know, I'm thinking that if you come at something from a humorous point of view, it makes it kind of easier for people to try something on, to just look at it maybe and go on, not take it too seriously, not take it like they have to face it square on. And on the other hand, with a song like Let the Woman in You Come Through, you bring up the serious issues. In the third verse, you say, So you tell me that I'm crazy, and you know I don't like kids, especially little sissies. And the feelings there are so honest and raw. I think that perhaps is much harder for people to look at than with a light-hearted kind of chuckle where they can look at it and go on their way. So does humor make it easier for people to generally look at things, to sidle up on them? And does it reduce the amount of heat that you get for bringing up the issues? Well, let's say lightness instead of humor. There's ways to do things lightly and just bring them up and touch on them briefly. So that even though they have this darkness and heaviness to them, like death with children, people don't know how to explain death to kids, so we don't even ever talk about it. But if you can just bring it up, raise your hand if you ever had a cat that died or a plant that died or, you know, if you know someone who died, and the hands go up, and I go, yeah, man, that makes you feel sad. And I can just 
brush over it lightly, but I brought it up. And now the kids know that if they need to talk about that, then I'm a safe person to go to, whereas in a lot of classrooms, teacher wouldn't bring it up because they're going, I'm not versed in this. I don't know how to talk about this stuff. So, again, I don't try to use humor or the lightness in order to avoid taking heat. I'm not afraid of heat. The heat would bother me, and what heat means in the way that I think you're using it is somebody is upset at something that I did. I'm not really interested in getting somebody upset what I want to do is bring up our commonality and say, you know, here's something that I've been thinking about because it used to scare me a lot or still scares me a lot, and here's some of the thoughts about it, and I'm singing you the song because my guess is that some of you have thought about this too, you know? And you mentioned Let the Woman You Come Through. I'd love to play that because it was an important song and it really had to do with taking a look at how we have a balance of a lot of these things inside of us. We just aren't encouraged to recognize it and don't find safe places to do that. You're holding in cause you're a man who never cries I'm not as tough as you my friend But since you ask for my advice Let the woman in you come through She's trying to let you know she's there She colors everything you do And the man in you gets scared You like to dance I've seen you dance When you thought no one was there I've heard sorrow in your voice While you laugh like you don't care It's hard to hide your gentle side It's a lonely way to be Take it from a friend who knows An old, old friend like me Let the woman in you come through She's trying to let you know she's there She colors everything you do And the man in you gets scared You'll fight to prove that you're a man You'll fight to prove you're right You work hard and you play hard And you stay up late at night Working hard's a way to hide From the dumb things some folks say But holding tenderness inside Is only throwing it away Let the woman in you come through She's trying to let you know she's there She colors everything you do And the man in you gets scared Tell me that I'm crazy And I know you don't like kids Especially little sissies Yeah, I know you never did But I've seen you with the tough ones The ones the others all condemn And you know that they're the frightened ones And you know cause you're like them Let the woman in you come through Trying to let you know she's there She colors everything you do The man in you gets scared Let the woman in you come through Be a different kind of brave She'll show you love's the difference Between a free man and 
That was Let the Woman in You Come Through by Peter Alsop, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. My guest today on Spirit in Action is Peter Alsop. Peter is an educational psychologist, a musician, a workshop leader on a range of topics. He's a father, a son, a partner, but my favorite aspect of his character is the way he comes at learning about deep, really significant issues from lighthearted or humorous direction. He's with us today via the Miracle of Electronics from Topanga, California. Peter, I absolutely love that song, Let the Woman You Come Through, but I wanted to comment about my own trip with the message of the song. It was important to me, and, you know, even critical, to learn to let the tender side of me, the vulnerable side, come through. I thought, and I think of myself as a feminist male, so it was very important for me to break free from the cultural chains that had slotted me into the tough, dominant, non-communicative male role. So your song was a gift in that transition, but it wasn't the end. I found that after I'd accepted the woman in me, I had, in fact, overcorrected, that I had rejected some parts of the man in me, stuff that was really me, even a gift of my gender, stuff that I had to reclaim as the next step in my growth. Absolutely. Another thing that would be parallel to that is finding a safe adult inside of ourselves. Everyone says, you need to find your inner child. You know, And then there's people that, that are really, in, I always felt like I was in touch with my inner child. What I found was is that I didn't have a safe adult a lot of times. A friend of mine was doing a book, and I said, are you going to take this to a publisher? Because your work is so wonderful. She's a psychologist. And she said, oh, no, they always screw you at the publishers. I'm not going to. I'm just going to self-publish it. I said, well, your work is so wonderful. The publisher can get out the book. No, no. So we talked about it, and what we came up with was that her inner child had been abused many times, beaten up by people who just told her she wasn't any good, her stuff wasn't any good, stuff like that. And her little kid was scared to go try again now that she'd finished this book with a publisher. So she was in touch with her inner child. She knew how to be playful, and she knew the feelings of sadness and the fears and being scared. But to find a safe adult who can just walk up to your inner child and say, you know what, I'm going to take you by the hand. Some of these publishers are not very nice, but some of them are really nice. And we're going to find one. We're going to go and talk to them and see if they want to do our book because it will really help us out. If you get scared at any time or someone's not being nice, I will take you out of the room. We'll just get up and walk out. We don't have to stand there and take that. Okay? Is that fair enough? And it's kind of someone that can take care of the inner child so that you can go and, and you don't just blow the whole thing off because your inner child is afraid and running your life. Was there a happy ending to that story? You know, Did she find more power with her inner adult? Well, when we say happy ending, you know, I don't, I don't know if she did. What I do know is she did self-publish the book, but that might have been a happy ending. I'm not sure if she went and talked to publishers. She might have. She might not have. What was important for me was that we have the conversation. You see, that's one of the things about, it's like words that I'm, I'm always looking at words like good and bad. I try to avoid those kind of words because there's value judgments. You know, you're, how are you feeling? I'm feeling bad today. You know, feelings aren't bad. Feelings aren't bad or good. They just are. And when I put words out, I'm like, bad. There's all these other subtle messages my brain does with it. Like if, you know, if I think of being sad as a bad feeling, then I don't want to be bad. I'm not supposed to be bad. I'm not supposed to have that bad feeling. So I don't feel sad when, in fact, I need to feel sad. I need to cry about something that's going on. I 
need to feel sad because it's emotion and it makes me take a move. I need to move away from whatever it is that, or set a boundary about something maybe. Or maybe I just need to feel the sadness and then decide later if I want to take an action. But I need that information. And so the words that I use are really important. So when we're looking to be happy, you know, like that's the best outcome, maybe she was still scared and no matter what she did. And maybe she's also someone who wasn't going to be happy for some reason. She might have set up, um, I won't be happy until I have a million dollars from book sales. So maybe she's not happy still. You see what I'm, where I'm going is that sometimes words can really lock us into certain kinds of things that we don't want to get into. They're not helpful. I'll give you one more quick example, Mark, which is the term spoiled child, which is a term I don't use. I work with kids all the time, but I don't use that term anymore because when I use the term spoiled child, it does a certain thing to me. Probably everybody out there listening knows what a spoiled child is, but I'm not sure what that means. And what my brain does is when I think of a child as spoiled, it's like, what do you do with meat when it spoils? You throw it out. So my brain automatically wants to throw this kid out. And that's not helpful. So tell me what the child does. Don't call them a spoiled child. Say, well, this kid, they scream whenever this happens, or they do that, or they were demanding. If you give me some verbs, then I can give the kid maybe some other skills to try to get what it is that they think that they need by using some other skills with which they might be more successful. But when I just uh, call them a spoiled child, it doesn't give me any way to behave. You see, so certain words, I'm just not using them, throwing them out and trying to get verbs to help me because that gives me some way to take action since this is spirit in action, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> you know, Peter, you started out as a performer, coffee house concerts, that kind of thing, and then you became an educational psychologist, and now what's the kind of work you do? Is it performing? Is it workshops? And is it adults, kids? What kind of mix do you have in there? Mostly what I do is people call up and say, we want you to come and sing for the kids, because I've won the Best Children's Record Award about seven times from various groups and Parents' Choice and National Association of Independent Record Distributors and stuff. Whenever I put one out, I seem to win some kind of awards, which is great. I'm delighted. Um... They say, would you come and play for the kids? And I go, well, yeah, I can do that, but it's going to have a minimum impact on their life. I think that the ideas are worthwhile enough to have more of an impact than just having them hear me once, and then it's out to recess and back to business as usual. If I can get my hands on the parents or on the teachers or the district superintendents, you know, I once I played for all the district superintendents in South Dakota, and out of the 30 of them, if only three of them got something that was important, that's going to affect hundreds of thousands of kids. Said, wow, I had never thought about that. Well, yeah, I could do this differently with my staff and with the teachers and with the kids and how I'm related to the parents. So, um, an awful lot of what I do in terms of these days has been to do keynote addresses at national conferences for social workers and marriage and family therapists, and I do grand rounds for doctors, and I do workshops for nurses and pediatric oncology centers, and I do a lot of stuff on chemical and codependency issues. I've trained at most of the major chemical dependency facilities at Betty Ford Center and Karen Foundation and on-site and Anna Kappa Hospital and Sierra Tucson. So what I found is is that I'll go in and do one of these things and then I try and do a community concert while I'm there so that I can actually model some of the stuff I talked with the grown-ups about during the day at the conference and show them how we can be playful with the kids and still address a lot of these tough issues, help bring up some of the feelings so the kids can have a stronger feelings vocabulary so they can the parents get that if their child's sad, they don't need to just get them to stop being sad and grow up and be a big boy that being sad is part of being human, it's part of our legacy. And that if they don't know how to deal with painful feelings, that's one of the biggest things for substance abuse stuff. That's what substance abuse is about. It's about medicating painful feelings that are trying to surface. So I want my kids to have a really healthy feelings vocabulary where if they're scared, they know what to do when they're afraid. And part of that means modeling my own fear. 
Peter, I wanted to talk about one of your specific songs. It's called My Body. And I think that it originated in the context of women's rights. But I think it's been taken up as kind of an anthem by a number of different groups, including kids' groups. Can you tell me about the genesis of that song? Right. It actually was for a reproductive rights march in Milwaukee back, I think it was 1977, at a men's conference there. So I wrote it for that. And there 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 are things that wasn't just reproductive rights. It wasn't just for women either. My hands were made to hold other hands, not to hold guns in faraway lands. You know, my womb was made to make kids when I please, not to be forced by man-made laws and decrees. So there's a bunch of things that had to do with uh, people having some rights themselves, whether they're little or big or whatever gender you are. And then a group called the Green Thumb Theater out of Vancouver, B.C., wanted to use that song, and they, they did a rewrite, and I added some verses to what they did, and we came up with the My Body, the one that's being used in self-protection programs for kids all over this country, in Canada, and United Kingdom, and Australia. I've just been delighted it's made it around the world. Did you write the verse about picking your nose? Who else would write a verse about picking <laughs> your nose? Um, why don't we play the song, and then we'll talk about that, because there's some interesting stories about that. Sure. This is My Body by Peter Alsop. My nose was made to sniff and to sneeze, to smell what I want and to pick when I please. My body's nobody's body but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. My lungs were Please leave it alone when you hear 
secrets are fun when they're filled with surprise, but not when they hurt us with tricks, threats, and lies. My body's mine to be used as I choose, not to be threatened or forced or abused. My body's nobody's body, but.
So, you want Little Kid? It's from the Uh-Oh album. So I'll do that. I'll spin Little Kid by Peter Alsop. I am just a little kid. I am just a little kid. But not for long. But not for long. Someday I'll be a big kid. Someday I'll be a big kid. Big and strong. Big and strong. Next I'll be a teenager. Next I'll be a teenager. Yeah. So? Yeah. So? Then I'll be a grown-up. Then I'll be a grown-up. Just like you. Just like you. Just like you. But I won't hit my little kid. I won't hit my little kid. When something's wrong. When something's wrong. When I'm angry at my little kid. I'm angry at my little kid. I'll sing this song. I'll sing this song. I'll say, hey, I love you, little kid. Hey, I love you, little kid. When you act like a little kid, that's okay. When you act like a little kid, that's okay. I'm sorry I was mean to you. Sorry I was mean to you. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. Hope I won't be a grown-up who acts that way. Hope I won't be a grown-up who acts that way. Cause now I'm just a little kid. Cause now I'm just a little kid. So I act like a little kid. So I act like a little kid. And that's okay. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Well, in the song, if you'll notice, thanks for playing that, it's a powerful song. The way I do it, when I do it live, is I sing a line, then I point at the audience, and they repeat the line after me. And we go through the whole thing like, teenager, yeah, so, and all that stuff. Uh, and they say, isn't this fun? And then they get to the part where they say, but I won't hit my little kid when something's wrong. And they're supposed to repeat it. And I know statistically there's people in my audiences that are spanking their kids. And just, there is. So that creates a problem for the person that's been singing along in the first part of it, because if they, if they keep singing and they're saying, I don't hit my little kid when something's wrong, that's not true. And that's what you call cognitive dissonance. They are hitting their little kid. If they stop singing, then the people on either side of them is going to know that they're beating their children. They don't want to do that, you know, so they're not sure what to do. And it's really fine with me if they're a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not identifying them. This is their own internal cognitive dissonance. And hopefully, you know, when they hear the song, they can kind of think, you know, well, maybe I do need to come up with some other kinds of alternatives for setting boundaries with my kid. And maybe physical violence isn't, isn't one of the ones I want to be using. I'm constantly trying to get ideas out there through my kids' songs to the parents, too. I'd say 85% of my kids' stuff is sort of covert parenting information. And, of course, we can use the same kind of techniques with our children. Uh, there's an interesting one that my ex-wife used with my son when he was small. She taught him when he was watching TV and a commercial would come on, she would just teach him to say, no, thank you no thank you and that's what he would do he'd see a commercial and he'd say no thank you no thank you and I think that empowered him to have the choice to not choose now of course since then he's now 20 he's decided some of those things he does want but it was an interesting technique for him to have as a young child Problem. 
probably the spider's feelings. Maybe the spider was afraid to try something new. I say, Peter, raise your hand if you're ever afraid to try something new. Of course, people laugh and raise their hands. And I say, and now raise your hand if you ever tried something new that you were afraid of and you found out it wasn't so scary. And they raise their hands. I said, so, you know, maybe the spider just needed to walk through her fear. So I wrote a new song. It's called Itsy Spider that deals with that. Itsy Bitsy Spider was frightened by the rain. But Itsy Spider didn't have an itsy bitsy brain She went to school and learned to swim and then she went to shop And this is what the Itsy Bitsy Spider went and bought She bought an Itsy Bitsy tiny whiny purple polka dot The kiny silken ring on nice and shiny Holes for all her legs and hiney Then she went up the spout and waited for the rain she felt a little nervous, then finally it came. Down came the rain and washed her out the chute. But she swam the raging rapids in her purple bathing suit. She scrambled up the water spout. It gave her such a thrill. She laughed and tumbled down again, just like Jack and Jill. She caught the raindrops in her mouth. She really loved the rain. She played all day there, climbing up and sliding down again. So the Spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun, but she wanted rain to pour, cause the itsy bitsy spider wasn't frightened anymore. No, the itsy bitsy spider wasn't frightened anymore. How was it that you pronounced bikini the first time in that song? It's called artistic license, Mark. I said bikini because it had a rhyme with hiney, and I was running out of rhymes. <laughs> Well, can I see your artistic license? I want to see if it's up to date and officially in force right now. Not sure. I'm not sure if it's up to date or not. I better get re-registered, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, you know, Peter, what I really like about that song is the way you convert something that's drudgery when you're building this web over and over, and you convert it into a party time. You know, I don't think Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn could have done any better. Well, it's also, for me, it's the empowering of our heroine so that she's not just like a slave to a convention that she can take a look and say, I don't want to, you know, build, I'm going to build my web somewhere else. Like, you built it inside the spout, and it's going to get washed out when I built it somewhere else, you know, and, or not be afraid of the water or whatever. It's having that courage to change things, and, and courage, I really, again, I like to look at words a lot, but what does that mean, having courage? It's from the French word core, which means heart. We have heart and you have feeling connected, and when people don't speak up when we talked about this a little bit before when they when they it, it's hard to have courage when stuff when you're afraid i do a lot of work at schools around bullying issues you know where there's a bully and there's a victim and there's some amazing similarities between the two you know a lot of the bullies behavior is driven by fear you know they're afraid that if they don't take charge and push other people around that people will know that they're afraid so they come out with this angry outside and they're afraid inside and the victims are just the opposite they're afraid on the outside and it makes them angry on the inside I mean look at the Columbine and some of the kinds of anger and think yourselves how you feel when you've just been bullied by someone and you didn't stand up for yourself how angry you feel at yourself and at the person and, you know, so there's some real similarities there the interesting person to me the most interesting person is the bystanders the rest of us who watch this stuff go on or who don't intervene or who don't know what to do probably most of us have seen some kid getting spanked or hit or yelled at in the supermarket and you want to intervene, you go, if they do that one more time I'm going to step in, but we don't. Well, and of course, sometimes we do. I did step in in one case. There was a kid who was making a big fuss in the grocery line. He was 
I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar kind of thing, a 10-year-old or so kid, and trying to embarrass his mother into giving it to him to shut him up. And I walked right over to him. First I said to her, this is for him, not for you, so you don't have to worry about this. And I said to the kid, you seem to be making quite a bit of noise, and that's bothering me, and I'd like you to stop making that noise, which is annoying me. And the kid was just taken aback because evidently no adult had ever focused the attention directly to him and let him have the discomfort of his actions rather than putting it on his mother. And just kept some high statements. You didn't tell him he was wrong for doing it. You just asked for information. Yeah, all of that sounds really healthy. If it's been the other way around or if it was a husband smacking his wife around, this guy was a 260-pound linebacker, I believe that that's wonderful that you did that and that you might also intervene in this other situation. But sometimes going in and doing I statements can be a lot more scary if you're in the, if there's a threat of physical violence. Someone could have a gun. What do you do? How do you intervene then? And often it's generally there's a difference of power. And my point was not that the people should be doing this. It's more that why aren't we and taking a look at that. And I think a lot of it is because we don't know how to intervene. We could have been a mom yelling at her kid, and we could go over to the mom and say, you know, your noise is annoying me, but then guess what's going to happen? The kid is going to get whacked later on because mom's blaming the kid. The kid if you just did what I said, then that person wouldn't have said anything to me, you know? So a lot of us get stopped by going, I don't know how to do this so that the outcome's going to be okay, and I don't feel good going home and not having done anything. What do I do? And we don't train about this. So if we don't get much exposure about how to intervene or what to do with that. And that's what you do in your workshops, you know, give people tools to work on this kind of thing? Well, yeah, and part of it is I can throw out a couple things that I might know, but, but I do something called sculpting where people get up on their feet and I have them sort of, it's not role-playing, it's just representing stuff, and I also have people get up and represent feelings as well. It comes from my work with Sharon Wegscheider, Cruz, and she was a protege of Virginia Satir, some of the actual therapeutic sculpting techniques. I do workshops on that at my conference center and uh, around the country. I'm getting up and physicalizing some people can see it. And then I also can enlist from the audience and go, what are you guys doing? You're in this situation. It's amazing. People have all sorts of skills that because we don't talk about these things, we don't share them. And so I create a forum by doing this where people can share some of this stuff. And by the time we're done, we might have 10 different kind of things somebody could have done. Now, you could walk out of that workshop and get in a situation at the supermarket that night, and none of those 10 things would be appropriate. You still might not know what to do, but at least you've got some other tools in your toolbox that you didn't have when you started. And you might go home and say, well, I didn't know what one to use, and think of something new. But at least the awareness is there and the exploration and curiosity to figure out what do I do if I run into that that particular difficult situation again, what can I do? To have courage to act out differently than other people and to take action, you know, spirit and action, to do that, not only takes courage, it takes some support. It really helps if you have a community of friends who will support you, people you can talk to about that. But it also is important to know how to deflect negative stuff that people are going to throw your way. You know, there's a great song called You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If You Ain't Been Called a Red back when there was the communist stuff that everybody's worried about. If you are called a communist, you'd be blacklisted and you'd lose your job and your livelihood and, you know, you get executed for stuff. Not, then that word changed and then it was, you know, uh, somebody's an insurgent or somebody's a terrorist or something like that. Where, I mean, it makes sense to me that some of the people that we're calling terrorists, that that label's getting to be huge and including a lot of people who are in their own country minding their own business, not doing anything, 
and another country comes in and takes over and tells you what to do, and you're going, this isn't okay, and they say, too bad, this is the way we're doing it. And if you resist that at all, of a sudden you become a terrorist, whether you're killing people or even if you're a pacifist, you become a terrorist in the eyes of people who don't agree with you. And so the way that labels are used are really interesting. One time my little girl came home from Montessori preschool. I said, come on, it's time to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. It's time to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. Let's go. Right now you're going to bed. Daddy, you're a faggot. Wow. Where did you get that? Do you even know what one is? No, but I don't want to go to bed. A faggot actually is another name for a gay person, which is a, an, an epithet, but it comes from the word uh, a faggot, which is a bundle of wood, which is what they used to, you know, you wrap a bunch of sticks together in the woods, you could sell a faggot of wood to somebody to, you know. And that came from in the, the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. They used to light the fires when they were burning witches with gay men, and that's where the word faggot came from. And, I mean, she's what? She's four years old, so she has no idea what even gay means. But those kind of words can be very, very demeaning and undermining, of course. And the gay rights movement has come along and said, we're not going to accept your definition of this word. You know, we're gay, and there's nothing negative about it. So the power of words is really incredible, and particularly if you're going to have enough courage and spirit to take action when you need to, we need to be armed with that. And there's a great song that was written by Ted Judd, and I redid the music into kind of a rigor tune called You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If You Haven't Called You Gay, which is kind of a takeoff on the You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If You Ain't Been Called a Red. One day in school, a friend of mine sat all alone and cried. When I asked him what was wrong, he said his grandmother had died. He apologized for crying said that it's okay, but when I put my arm around him, all the fellas called me gay. Uh, well, you ain't been doing nothing, if they haven't called you gay. If you show a sign of caring, then you know it's what they'll say. So you might as well ignore it, or decide that it's okay. Cause you ain't been doing nothing, if they haven't called you gay. One day I saw my uncles looking at a magazine. There were naked women, whips and chains, and things I'd never seen. They said, what you think of this one, boy? I said, I think it's sick. They said, boy, you must be gay if you don't want to poke a chick. Uh, well, you ain't been doing nothing. They haven't called you gay. If you show a sign of decency, you know it's what they'll say. So you might as well ignore it or decide that it's okay. Cause you ain't been doing nothing if they haven't called you gay. And then I went to college. And I studied modern dance I went down to the gym with my tights beneath my pants As I was working out, some jock would whisper loud and clear But the dancer loves his locker room for men because he's queer Well, you ain't been doing nothing If you ain't been called a queer You try out something new, well, you know it's what you'll hear So you might as well ignore it Or answer with a cheer Cause you ain't been doing nothing If you ain't been called a queer I like to work with kids and help them grow up strong and free. But when I became a daycare teacher, people said to me, Can't you make the boys be tough and make the girls be cute? Can't you get a real man's job? What's the matter? You a fruit? <sighs> well, you ain't been doing nothing if you ain't been called a fruit. If you work for sexual freedom, then you know they'll start to hoot. Just remember there's a hurting kid inside each cheering group. And you ain't been doing nothing if you ain't been called a fruit. Well, singing isn't macho, as everybody knows Unless it's country western or you're wearing chain link clothes But if it's folk or opera or style they don't know You can bet your yodeling you'll be called a homo <laughs> Well, you ain't been doing nothing 
If you ain't been called a homo, it's been said about a lot of folks from Brahms to Perry Como. So you might as well ignore it or use it for your promo. Cause you ain't been doing nothing if you ain't been called a homo. Now I wonder why the things I do bring ridicule to me. From rigid, frightened people in a land that's brave and free. As for me to be a real man means give up fear and hate. To sing along with arms around our brothers gay and straight. That you ain't been doing nothing if they haven't called you gay. If you work for gender justice, then you know it's what they'll say. So you might as well ignore it or decide that it's okay. Cause you ain't been doing nothing if they haven't called you. Different pansy, friendly, faggot, very weird and wimp. Sissy, strange and sick, and when they say your wrist is limp, just give them a big smile and let them hear you say that you ain't been doing nothing if they haven't called you gay. That song was You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If They Haven't Called You Gay, and it's one of many gems on Peter Alsop's collection called Ebenezer Scrooge's Makeover. It's a kind of retelling of Ebenezer Scrooge's story, except that in this case, he's a shut-down, homophobic, rather conservative and resistant dean of students at a college, and the ghosts come in and have him face up to the causes and the consequences of his attitudes. It's an excellent collection worth checking out. You've been listening to part one of a Spirit in Action interview with musician and educational psychologist and all-round insightful person Peter Alsop. You can check out Peter's work, his workshops, music, and more via his website, Peter Alsop, that's P-E-T-E-R-A-L-S-O-P dot com, and come back next week for part two of my visit with Peter Alsop. You've been listening to Spirit in Action. You can hear this program again via my website, northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you can find links and information and music and all kinds of wonderful things. The theme music for Spirit in Action is I Have No Hands But Yours by Carol Johnson. Thank you for listening. I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit you can email me at helpsmeet at usa.net. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. I have no higher cause for you than this To love and serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness To love and serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness.